Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Pastor Talk podcast. We are continuing our series, The Real People of Faith, and we are jumping into the, another story of another key character in the Bible. We're once again back in the Old Testament. We are looking at the character of Joshua. Um, Joshua fits into this timeline uh, of the Old Testament in a really interesting place. We're jumping ahead. We started this whole series with Moses, so now we're we're jumping beyond Moses here. Uh, Joshua follows Moses as the leader of the Israelites, and there's some really interesting interplay there between Moses and Joshua, the handing off of that sort of leadership responsibility, and then the ways in which Joshua continues to be faithful as he goes throughout his own story that we'll get through here today. But we're thrilled that you've made time to join us for another conversation. And here, Clint, we're going to jump into another a person's story who really does bring some unique differences uh, based upon what we've had already. Yeah. You know, to some extent, I think Joshua is a difficult character, certainly in a difficult book. At, at odds with modern sensitivities, Joshua is a military figure and is really the leadership of this period of time we call conquest. So, Moses has essentially led people to the borders of the promised land, and it will be Joshua's charge to lead them into the promised land, to defeat the people that are in the land, to occupy their territory, to conquer and vanquish them. And Joshua does that really well, but the parts of that story, there are parts of that story that are very rough. Uh, there's brutality, there's mm -hmm. devastation, and it's a difficult it's a difficult juxtaposition, I think, for modern readers to put God's command and the extermination of people mm -hmm. in the same story. And Joshua embodies that consistently throughout his his story. Would you say, Clint, that though Moses and Joshua share lots of details in their stories, things like both of them are keepers of the law, they remind people of the law of its importance, both of them do lead military campaigns, um, both of them find themselves in situations where, where they're engaging with God in direct uh, manners. Both of them actually, we find early in Joshua's leadership story, this story where he goes through the uh, the river, and this is sort of this uh, this mirroring of Moses going through the sea. So you have all these connections, but what is sort of unique about Joshua as it relates to Moses is when it comes to Joshua's military conquest, we get more details. There's more of them, and they are in the way that they're told even uh, really a gateway to a little bit more of that kind of ancient um, devastation, that kind of ancient brutality, I think is a good word for it, that we just don't quite see in the same coloring with Moses. Yeah, I think Joshua's primary role is, is military commander, is conqueror. You know, Moses is a transitional leader. There's a sense in which Moses is a mediator between God and people, between Egypt and promised land. Joshua is a conqueror. His his mission is conquest. He His job is to overthrow and to do so faithfully. Having said that, I think you're right. There are a number of ties in the Moses story and the Joshua story. You know, the, the crossing of the river, 
There's another part in which Joshua is told to take off his shoes. He's standing on holy ground. There's a place where he's delivered the laws and he's to give them to the people. Whoever was writing this story wanted to be very clear that Joshua is Moses' successor, not just from a military perspective, but from a spiritual perspective and from a leadership perspective. Having said that, though, I think the the things that people will read in the Joshua story that will bring them difficulty will all be right. military conquering kind of narratives. There's really nothing else. Uh, Joshua is very faithful, follows God literally, and therefore troubling to us, God gives the commands to wipe out groups of people, and Joshua does it. Well, and one of our major entrances to Joshua as a character is actually his activity as a spy, which is really an interesting way to be introduced to who will become a very significant character as the biblical narrative goes on. But uh, imagine that, that one of the major leaders of Israel, one of these people who are linchpins in the story of how God's going to bring his people into the promised land is a person who is by people group known for being sly, for being tricky, for, for going in and for doing really sort of dirty military work. And that's exactly where we meet Joshua when Moses sends in these 12 people to scout out the land. Yeah. So there are two parts of back of Joshua's backstory that may be helpful before we get, before people get to the book of Joshua. The first is that one. He, he was one of the 12 spies. You probably know the story. There are 10 spies that come back and say, we can't do it. The people are right. too strong. Joshua and Caleb say, we can do it. We we should go up and take the land. And therefore, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones of the previous generation that are allowed into the promised land. That's where God says, okay, because you weren't faithful, I'm going to make Israel wander for 40 years until all the people who had a chance to go in are no longer with us, except for Joshua and Caleb, and they will be able to enter. The other story that people may or may not know, there is a moment where Israel is having a skirmish with someone, and Moses stands on a rock, and as long as he keeps his arm lifted with the staff, they prevail, but whenever his arms would droop, they begin to fail, and so he has people standing next to him helping. Well, Joshua is in charge of the army in that skirmish. Joshua is leading the military force that is fighting that battle, and so we see glimpses of him. He's a he's a a tactician, he's a great military uh, strategist, but then he succeeds Moses and he becomes the person charged with really every aspect of the Israelites' life as they move into Canaan and begin to settle this new land. In this movement into Joshua in the larger story of God's people, it, I think it's fascinating how you have some of these sort of transitions. We had Joseph, who's that individual who uh, just seems to be blessed even amidst all these uh, very tumultuous transitions in his life. Then you have Moses, who God uses to bring the people out. He he is military leader in uh, maybe one sense, but really one of Moses' gifts is that of administration and, and the, his ability to to provide mediation between people and God. But this transition to Joshua as leader 
does initiate this new season where the people of Israel go from wandering to taking, to um, beginning a kind of conquest. And the story that we find in Joshua, as we in the book Joshua, sorry, as we go further along in his story, is one in which God is faithful to provide for the people's needs as long as they are faithful to him. And this relationship between the people's obedience and between God's blessing just seems to be written throughout the entire book. And so, in moments where we find Joshua doing things which are, by all accounts, difficult to read, I think we have to recognize that there is this measure of faithfulness that's being tracked throughout that entire book. And I think it's an important lens to look at Joshua as we start to see sort of as his story leads the people into some of this conquest narrative. Yeah, and difficult, I think, for us to remember at times, Joshua's whole life is wartime. Mm -hmm. His, His entire leadership is a series of battles between Israel and their enemies. And in fact, as we open the book and in the first chapter, God tells him, look, every place you set your foot, I have already given you. And then he repeats this this phrase several times in the first chapter, be strong and courageous, and no one will be able to stand against you. So Joshua is tabbed from the very beginning as a conqueror, as, as a military figure, as a warrior. And a leader of warriors. And in this part of the narrative, that is intrinsically tied to being faithful. Mm -hmm. Regardless of Joshua's gifts, it's understood that nothing he does is done on his own. And so there are moments where Israel is vastly outnumbered, but God gives them victory. There are moments where somebody has been disobedient And so a battle they should win is lost and they're routed. And Joshua leads under this knowledge that if God is displeased with the people, if they disobey God, the immediate result is that they will lose the battles that they're called to go fight, that that they will, that they endanger the nation of Israel by being unfaithful. And so in a book like this where God tells them, go in and I and leave nothing breathing, go in and wipe out mm-hmm. this group of people, Joshua faithfully does that, and we could be very disturbed by that. However, in the context of the narrative, Joshua is always fulfilling the instructions that he understands God has given him. And, and that's not to... That's not to justify it, but it is to say that Israel's history reads Joshua as a faithful leader because he follows God's commands. I don't want to skip too far ahead and then jump back, but I think there's a really helpful sort of opposing two opposing characters in the narrative that help flush that out, Clint. You have Rahab, the spy, who 
is by all accounts an enemy of Israel, right? They're coming to this city, Jericho, that they're going to take. And, and you probably know this story of how Rahab takes in the spies that go into the city. She saves them from capture. And so when Jericho falls, we know that story from all of our time in children's sermons and, you know, the famous songs and these sorts of things. When the walls fall, the entire city is leveled except for Rahab and her family. Those are those people who by all accounts are a detestable people group, both culturally and as well as being the enemy group. They're saved. In fact, it says that they go with them from that time on. But then you introduce this other character, Achan, who after that time is a, is a part of the, the tribes of Israel. He's part of the group. He goes and takes things that was not his to take, and um, it causes issues um, for the, the people as they go. The important part here is he's found out, and the punishment for him and his family is death. And in these opposing characters, Rahab the spy and Achan the Israelite, you see how Joshua is faithful to both. He's willing to give grace and mercy. He's willing to actually bring Rahab into the fold. He's also willing to be faithful to mete out punishment to those who break the commands of God. Why? Because this is about God's faithfulness and not about Joshua. Yeah. Again, it's maybe difficult for modern readers to understand it this way, but the Old Testament commends Joshua numerous times because the simple truth is when God commands it, Joshua does it. Right. And it it is really that simple in the narrative. Now that includes some things that would make many of us uncomfortable and we read and we think that would God really have said that? And right. boy, that seems that seems harsh. That seems brutal. The text this part of the Old Testament, which is about the conquest of Israel and the overthrow of its enemies, is just not very concerned with those questions. I mean, they may ask them later, but in this book where Israel really becomes a world power and claws and scratches their way into the promised land in order to do it, those are not questions the text is very concerned about. Yeah, and I think, Clint, that's maybe... One of the things that makes Joshua, as an adult reader of Scripture, difficult is because of the just extreme distance in terms of time and cultural space. We, we may become so fixated on things that, quite frankly, the text isn't really concerned about. It's not trying to make an apologetic as to whether Joshua was making the right moral choices or not. This, this story is about how he is being faithful to God's proclamations, how when God says, Joshua does, which by the way is not a new theme. I mean, it was the same with Moses, that when God calls the people to do something, uh, Moses is praised when he does it, and it's because of Moses' act of frustration and disobedience, or you know, what, however you read that text, that, that uh, Moses doesn't enter the promised land. So here we have a leader who's praised for that. The problem being in that, though, if we get fixated on the hard parts of the text, stuff that the text wasn't really trying to um, communicate to us, we might miss the fact that Joshua is simply trying to follow God's command wherever he can. And that is, I think, an admirable quality of this man, someone who, quite frankly, doesn't 
get recorded giving long and lengthy speeches. We don't know a lot about his personality. He's not really flushed out in terms of what he would be like to sit down and have a meal with, but yet he is an unbelievable linchpin in moving forward God's plan for the Israelites to enter into their promised land. Yeah, for instance, the story you referenced, Michael, I think helps us with that. There's this man, Achan. They have attacked a city named Ai. They were told, don't take anything. Achan sees some things he likes. He he sneaks them off. He hides them. The next time they go to battle, they're they're devastated. Joshua inquires of the Lord, saying, "What what's going on? What's happening here?" And God says, "You've broken faith. That somebody has taken devoted things from I, and they weren't supposed to." And this is the the pivotal verse. This is God speaking. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So imagine that you're Joshua, you're the leader of Israel. Their future is in your hands. You have been charged with the task of leading this people into what God wants them to do. And you hear these words, unless you are obedient, I will not be with you any longer. Mm -hmm. Now, at that point, Joshua understands he really has no choice. That to sacrifice the security of a nation for the concerns of a few people, whether they be Israelites or non-Israelites, he he he's the guy you want. You Joshua is the guy you want when you need a mission done, and you point him the right direction and set him loose. And that does make him a little bit of a one-dimensional character, but it it also makes him an interesting character because again what you have to give Joshua is that he's true he's true to his mission he's true to his calling he's faithful to God's commands and and to my knowledge there's really no example of him deviating from that he is consistently locked on to what God tells him to do yeah and the biblical story Clint is not interested in Joshua the politician or the nation-state leader. In other words, the stories that we have of him are not told from the vantage that he was trying to build the biggest Israel that he could build. I think his words here to Achan are, are telling. He says to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. And that is just this central current that runs through Joshua's story is that fundamentally he's not devoted to the things that you might think a military general national leader to be uh, concerned with. What he's uh, completely concerned with is indeed um, giving glory to the Lord, honoring God. And it turns out that in a time of conquest, in a time of taking the land that God had ordained, that also includes some things that for us are going to be difficult to read. Yeah, I think, not to jump ahead here, but I think one of the things that makes Joshua an interesting character is that he completely understands that his future and Israel's future are inseparably connected to their obedience and faithfulness to God. Hmm. That Joshua, it, it's it's not like we saw in Jacob, a man off trying to you know make his own way. Joshua understands that the only way he succeeds is to consult God, hmm. to follow God, to obey God, and and there really is no other. 
There really is no other approach. That for him, fulfilling his calling, his task, it is inseparable to acknowledging God, honoring God, praising God, and obeying God. And I, I do think there's, there's something helpful in that for us. For people who tend to think that obeying God is nice, but when we don't do it, we find forgiveness and, you know, we try. And as long as we try, it's okay. I, I think Joshua provides a kind of corrective to understand that for him, being faithful is a, is a life and death mm-hmm. kind of undertaking. I'm trying to think, and I don't want to overstretch here, Clint, but in terms of the biblical characters that I associate with what little I know of military discipline, I think Joshua really fits that. He's the kind of guy that I can imagine making the bed every morning. He's clean-shaven. He's got. He's well. Uh, he he's well groomed. He has expectations for his behavior and the behavior of his men. When when it comes down to um, keeping order, I think Joshua is this really strong representation, but yet it's always directed towards the end goal. And, and I think that's what's fascinating here. Uh, after um, they take the city of Ai, Achan and that sin is atoned for, and, and so God's on their side. They, they do indeed conquer um, this city. And what do they do at the end of it? They, they raise a pile of rocks over it. And this happens throughout this entire book. They're always erecting rocks and monuments. And what are they doing there? Well, He's leaving lasting reminders to the people of the God who was faithful to them in that time and place, right? Rocks are a thing that lasts. They're a thing that will stand the test of time. And uh, there's this theme throughout the book of Joshua um, directly questioning people, are you going to be faithful to the covenant? Are you going to have the discipline to continue to be with God because God is continuing to be with you? And his commitment to that idea is unfaltering throughout his entire life. Yeah, and I think there's no better example of that, Michael, than the last chapter of the book. And if you've read this book or you try to read this book, the first half is kind of military stories and conquest. The second half has a ton to do with the tribes and giving them their right. their spaces, their allocating land to them. And to be quite honest, there's not a lot of devotional material in most of that. Most people aren't going to find it interesting. But as you come to the end of the book, there are a couple of themes. There's the idea of remaining pure, remaining faithful, remaining obedient. And Joshua gathers all the tribes together shortly before his death, and he rehearses what God has done for them. He retells the story of faithfulness. And then you you probably know this text. It says, now, if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then the people answer, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you know, be careful mm-hmm. what you say. This is not an easy oath. This is not an easy vow. God is, 
is demanding, and God only accepts being put first in your hearts and in your life and in your nation. And, you know, that that covenant, that renewal of the covenant, Joshua is well known for that. And, uh, you know, that's beautiful language. Lots of people know that verse. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. To be fair to Joshua, to be able to say that at the end of one's life is a wonderful tribute. Joshua has lived that out. He doesn't say that flippantly. He, he says that he has earned the right to say those words. Yeah, and there's there's challenging uh, ideas in Joshua's life that don't just look like his military work. I think one of those central themes that that is difficult is here at the end of the book, Joshua 24, Uh, I'm looking here at verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. The thing, I I mean, just on its surface, that's a challenging word to hear from God. (laughs) But beyond that, if you dig into that a little bit, there's this assertion that if you do good, good is going to happen. If you do bad, God's going to turn on you. And a reader of Joshua's life might be excused for thinking that, that Joshua's story is an argument for or an apologetic for um, this sort of um, reactive God, that, that good things come to good people, bad things come to bad people, and that God is metering out uh, justice uh, in fiery flames to those who do bad things. And it sort of supports this sort of works righteousness I- idea. And what I think you could have a, a nuanced conversation about that, but I think you have to read Joshua as part of the larger story of Scripture. This is one man and his faithfulness. And it turned out that he was an essential moment in, the, in God's keeping his promise to the Israelites. They uh, lived faithfully to whatever extent they could, and through Joshua's ability, through his gifts, through his leadership, God takes the people into the land that he promised them. But Joshua isn't in some ways a be-all spiritual story of the archetypal way that we should all think about faith and God's relations to us. I, I, think, I think we see in Joshua clearly something we see generally in the Old Testament, this assumption that God's blessing is a response to our life. Now, what makes that what makes that challenging, I think, is that when we get to the New Testament, we really flip the order of those things. And in the in the whole of Scripture and in the whole of Christian Christianity and Christian thought, we stand at the end of a line that says, "God has been exceedingly good to us." And so we respond with obedience. And, and the Christian story really flips the Jewish story as to what comes first and what comes second. The Jewish story is, if you're good to God, God will be good to you. And, and I think Christianity has reversed that. Now, that's a generalization, and you could pick that apart in some parts of the Old Testament. But by and large, I think that's an assumption that we see in the Old Testament. We certainly see it. I would argue we see it very clearly 
in the book of Joshua. And it makes how we read Joshua a challenge. I think the takeaway, as I see a book like Joshua, is that we have here a faithful man who is called to a monumental task. Mm -hmm. And in the front of his story, multiple times, we hear his call, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then at the end of his life, we hear, as for me and my house, I'll take God. You want other gods, you want money, you want success, you want power, you people do whatever you want. As for me and my people, I will look to God for everything I need, and I will put my faith and trust in Him. And again, are there parts of Joshua's story that make us uncomfortable? Yeah, it wouldn't take long to find them. But I hope that doesn't keep us from seeing the depth of the commitment. And let's be honest, Michael, the words be strong and courageous are always an apt word for Christians who live in a world that demands both of those things. I'd like to circle back around to a point you made earlier, Clint. I think it's really helpful. Just as a reminder that Joshua lives in a time of unsettled military conquest. His entire life really is lived on the road. For him, there's no true arrival. It's always going. It's always in motion. And if you frame his story that way, if you if you take just a moment to recognize all of the miles he put behind him, all of the places that he slept that weren't his place, all of the unsettledness that just was his life. And then you recognize that this man trusted God to do something in that moment, on the dirty roads, in the ugly campsites, in the grueling and bloody battles that get described in this book, that somehow all of this is done in this man's life and he doesn't complain, he doesn't seek personal power or vengeance, he doesn't seem to exact um, military power towards his own end. It always seems to be in response to, to God's call and his desire to be faithful. If you frame it from that direction, Joshua is really great news for people who can relate to that feeling of never having arrived, that we're just meeting today's challenges that come at us. And, and you know, certainly in the last few months, we can all speak to challenges we never saw coming. And yet in the midst of that, the common stuff like, man, how are we going to cut our grocery budget this month? Or how can we try to um, uh, meet our kids in the middle while they're struggling in quarantine? I mean, all of these things that just seem like human concerns, somebody like Joshua, I think, is a reminder that God is with you in that really difficult, just human stuff. It doesn't feel spiritual. doesn't feel like being in church worshiping, or it, it doesn't feel like practicing faith, yet Joshua's life was lived on battlefields, and God was faithful to him and with him. Yeah, and and it's um, it's a strange lens through which to see an interesting truth. Why does God simply not strike down all the enemies dead? Why do they need Joshua? Why do they need military? Why doesn't God go and wipe out the towns and then they just move in? Why have soldiers that have to go out and fight the battle? Well, none of us could answer that ultimately, but... In part, maybe that's because it's in fighting the battle that we experience growth 
and faithfulness. It's it's on the battlefields of life that the the calling to be strong and courageous has to be lived out. And yes, God could solve lots of our problems for us, and it would be wonderful if he did. Instead, he points us in a direction and says, go be faithful. And Joshua does. And, you know, I, I, I doubt that Joshua is many people's favorite character, but again, I hope that what troubles us doesn't keep us from seeing what we can learn from in his story. And I would just only point out that I think what makes Joshua an important person in this series that we're doing on the real people of faith, that we could have easily left Joshua out and in some ways would have made for a much more comfortable conversation. Because if you read the book of Joshua, we are a broken record at this point, Clint, but there's some troubling stuff in this book. Yeah, go, go kill the animals, kill the women, kill the children, leave nothing that breathes, and Joshua did. Yeah, I mean, right. that, you're going to find that phrase over and over and over again in this book, and each time you're going to kind of go, ooh. So, so I wouldn't blame the person joining us for the conversation today for asking, Clint Michael, what are you thinking? Why do you include this guy in your series on the real people of faith? And I think if I was going to take a first stab at answering that question, it would be this. It would be, that we have to take seriously how different these people are from each other. God doesn't have a type, right? Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Jacob, now Joshua. Like, yes, there are some very strong similarities, but Clint, by personality, by what we can tell about who these people were, they were radically different people with radically different gifts and propensities, different literal physical geographies and times, and yet each one of these is included in God's story because it's God's story that they're part of, not because of something that they had intrinsically or some knowledge that they possessed. Joshua is included in this story because he took faithfulness to God seriously, and that is, I think, a, a significant reason why he needs to be included in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you know, I think the epitome of that idea, the, the idea of including people of the variety of people that end up being in the covenantal story is you mentioned the the prostitute, the harlot, Rahab. Well, she shows up. Mm-hmm. He, she secures a future by being kind to the spies that Joshua has sent. Joshua gives a command, go in and destroy Jericho, but save Rahab and her family. Well, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament, you see her name and an incredible, uh, an incredible wrinkle in the Israelite story that one of their enemies ends up in the lineage of the Messiah. I don't know how you summarize Joshua as a character, Clint. I think you've got to, on some level, recognize that he uh, leads things, he personally does things that are going to make any modern reader, any modern Christian are going to grimace. And yet, in the act of doing that, the biblical story seems compelled to remind us that Joshua is a man who took that command to be bold and courageous, and he took it seriously. He literally lived his life by that command, and in doing so, 
he was a critical part of God's keeping his promise to the Israelites. Yeah, and again, if we could be metaphorical, if, if we were thinking of how do we how do we incorporate Joshua into our spiritual life, maybe it's this, Michael, that there will be moments in our life where there are things that must be attacked and destroyed. And I don't mean people. I mean our sins. I mean our addictions. Mm-hmm. I, I mean the things that we do that wound ourselves and others. There are moments where battles have to be fought in the spiritual life, and our call to fight them is be strong, courageous, attack, and never quit. And when you need a character like that, when you need to find that kind of tenacity and that kind of uh, courage, that that kind of intensity in the scripture, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a, a role model in those regards better than Joshua. Yeah, it's well said. Very much. Well, friends, join us next week for our continuing conversation on the real people of faith. It's going to be different. (laughs) It is every week, but we're thrilled to have you join us for this conversation. Hope you learned something about Joshua. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, let us know. We'd be glad to continue the conversation. I'll keep it short, but remember the spiel. We'd love for you to like, share this. If you're on Facebook, if you're on the podcast, you do the iTunes thing, give us five stars there. However, you can share and let people know that this is happening. Uh, It's great to see all the people engaging uh, as we go through the weeks and hope that someone finds it useful. So thanks for being with us. Blessings all.